Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message, I was in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul is telling the Ephesians that he has heard about the love that they are expressing towards one another. In verse 15, it says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, and then, of course, he has more to say in verse 16 in terms of what his response is going to be. But what's important to remember is that they were expressing love in such a way that this was worth hearing about. And in the previous message, I was spending some time talking about two different kinds of love, and these forms of love, or these expressions of love, were not likely being expressed by the Ephesians, but it's something that needs to be spoken about. The first type of love that I was referring to was paganistic love, or a pagan type of love. And this type of love is something that is expressed because of someone's existence. The philosophy of paganism, also known as pagan Greek philosophy, as I have explained it a little bit before in the previous messages, is a kind of love that God would have towards us because he created us to be loved. And he has created other people that he can hate, you know, because he just needs some people in his life that he can hate. This is a paganistic view of God, a paganistic perspective of what love supposedly is. And there are a lot of people who like to embrace this kind of love because, of course, they believe that they are the type of person or the kind of person that God loves just because they exist, because he created them to be the object of his love, whereas others were created to be the object of his hatred. So from that point of view, they will then love others with the love that they have received from their God, which means that they will love others because those people exist and because they have this belief that God created those people to be loved, and they will, of course, hate other people who they believe God created to be hated. And so the love that they will express towards others will be a reflection of the love that they believe God is expressing towards them. But this kind of love, this kind of paganistic love, is not the kind of love that's worth hearing about. You know, that you love someone, why? Just because they exist, because God loves them and he hates other people. So you're obviously going to try to figure out, well, who is it that God loves? I'll love those people. And who is it that God probably hates? And I'll hate those people. This is not a love that is expressed in a relational way. It is a judgment. It is a decision. It is a reflection of you just simply wanting to love others 
or you make it a decision to be kind and gentle and perhaps patient. You know, these kinds of descriptions that we have that could be a reflection of love, but this is a decision that people are making towards others that is not relational. It has nothing to do with the other person. Then there's the religious type of love, and I spoke about this one in the previous program as well, that the religious kind of love is then conditional on the other person's behavior. If they repent and obey in a way that is satisfactory to you, that you believe is acceptable, well, then they can be the recipients of your love because you have effectively earned it. And this is a reflection of what a lot of people believe concerning how God relates to them, that they genuinely believe that God loves them because they have repented and obeyed enough. They have gotten their flesh under control enough. And, of course, because their behavior is not as bad as other people's behavior, well, then God will love them because, of course, he's got to love somebody, and he's definitely not going to love these other people. But he will love you, I supposedly, because you meet these conditions enough, you know, enough to his satisfaction. This is relational love. It is a conditional love. The paganistic love has nothing to do with conditions. It just has to do with self-existence. The religious love is conditional love in the sense that if you meet the conditions as are defined by the law, either explicitly or implicitly, you know, something that people will be open about or what people will be open-ended about in the sense that they won't necessarily describe to you in detail exactly what is acceptable, but they will kind of give you the hints here and there and manipulate you into understanding that they will only love you if you meet certain conditions. But that's the idea of religious love. And when people believe that this is how God relates to them, well, then they will, of course, love others with the love that they have received from their God, and they will love others conditionally, of course. And this is appealing to a lot of people, of course, for many different reasons. Probably the most common reason is because it does give you a tremendous amount of control over God. You know, he will only be able to love you when you decide to meet these conditions. And, of course, when you do meet these conditions, then he has to love you. You know, he owes you. So there is the perception, the belief, that there is a tremendous amount of control that a person has over their God, which, of course, is just pure fantasy. But this is a belief that some people will hold to, and it will affect the way that they relate to other people. But would this way be something worth mentioning? And the answer is, of course not. In fact, if it was to be mentioned, then it would come from those who were the most obedient to the law of God, who lived by the law of God, either to obtain or sustain their right standing with him. And Paul spoke about this a lot and that he was not impressed by people's desire to live a life of repentance and obedience instead of living in accordance with the inheritance that they have received in Christ Jesus, that those are two completely different ways of life. So for Paul to be speaking of the inheritance that we have received and the love that is being expressed by the Ephesians, for him to speak about this love to the extent where he is willing to give thanks for them, mentioning 
them in his prayers, which is what he speaks about in verse 16, this means that the Ephesians were being loved by their God with a genuine form of love that, of course, was not paganistic. It was genuine in terms of being relational. An example of what this love could be or how this could be expressed or represented is found in another letter that Paul wrote, the one to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For example, he gives a description of love where he says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail, whether there are tongues, they will cease. He goes on and he speaks about other issues. But this is just an example to say that this is a decision that a person makes to express love to someone else in the midst of their sinfulness, in the midst of their condition, where they are, who they are, to reach out to this person and have a relational experience, regardless of how repentant and obedient they may be, regardless of how much they may have their flesh under control or not. It has to do with other things. The relationship has to do with other criteria. For example, the pursuit of the knowledge and understanding of the truth and to live in response to the truth that a person can understand, embrace, and incorporate within their daily lives. These are different ways of understanding the love of God. And if a person is the recipient of the love of God, then the love that they will share towards others will be unique. It will be different from the paganistic kind of love, from the religious kind of love, and this will be a love that is worth speaking of. But the love itself can only be real if you are genuinely being loved by your God. Now, this, of course, cannot be taught. How can you teach a person to be loved? You can't teach that. That is a personal experience that you have to experience between you and your God alone. I can testify of it. I can speak of it. And I can definitely tell you about those things that can be in the way and will prevent you from being loved. But to be loved, that's between you and your God. That's the limit that anyone will have. That's the limit that a person will reach when they are in your life and they're trying to encourage you and help you to know the God who really is and to know the love of God. We can testify of those things and we can clear those barriers, but to actually experience it yourself, that's something that you have to do yourself. So a lot of the work that you will find that I have done that's found in the Living God Ministries Radio Archive does have a lot to do with clearing away the barriers, taking away the barriers that tend to be in the way of people knowing the love of God. For example, from a paganistic point of view, the idea that people have that some people have been predestined to be saved and other people have not been predestined 
to be saved eliminates the idea of choice and decision. So I spend a lot of time talking about decisions that people make, choices that people make. And I spend a lot of time talking about the truth and that you need to believe the truth and embrace the truth. These are decisions. This is about overcoming the paganistic views that a lot of people have, especially within Christianity, which have existed since the founding of the church. Because, of course, a lot of people who embraced paganistic Greek philosophy became Christians and they incorporated their views Within their faith, they interpreted the scriptures through the lens of pagan Greek philosophy, and I've spoken about this a lot at length. I've also spent a lot of time talking about being free from the Mosaic law, understanding the purposes of the law, embracing those purposes, but moving forward and moving on and realizing that there is a new way of life. I've spoken about our identity in Christ which is another approach to understanding the inheritance that we have received. And so I've done a lot of work when it comes to this subject. But when it comes to the love that God has for us, it is a love that is relational, based on reality, based on the truth. And the foundation of this love is established through understanding forgiveness. It is the forgiveness of sins that makes it possible for God to love us and for us to be able to receive the love that he has for us. It always begins with forgiveness. So if you're not sure where to start in this area, that's the place to start. I will tell you that that's where you need to begin in order to grow in your understanding of the love that God has for you. But in this program, I need to move forward into verse 16 and 17. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says that he does not cease to give thanks for you, referring to the Ephesians, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is what he refers to. He says, you know, I've heard that your love towards others is unique, it's different, it's something worth mentioning. This will tell Paul that these people are being loved by their God, and that is good. But what does he encourage them to pursue from there? He encourages them to pursue a knowledge of their God. And of course, the love of God is the beginning of knowing your God. To know the love that he expresses is to know him as a person in this way, that he is a loving person, that he is a forgiving person, that he is a kind person, that he is the kind of person that does not keep records of your wrongs so that he can continue to work with you and help you to embrace what he has for you, which will meet the deepest needs of your heart, which of course will cause change and transformation within and through you as a person. There's a whole lot that can be said about this, of course. But for now, I just want to focus on the end of verse 17, where he says that we are to know our God, that this is something that he genuinely 
praise we will experience, that we will know our God. Now, there is a substantial difference. There's a huge difference between knowing your God from the perspective of an academic exercise and knowing your God as a person who has revealed himself to you in unique, specific ways that you know could only have been revealed by him to you personally. You know, you can go through the scriptures and you can study the scriptures and see all that God has said, for example, and you can see all that God has done. And this is worth doing. I would like to encourage you to do that. Look and see where does it say, and God said, and what did he say, you know? What he said will give you an opportunity to learn something about him, that you may begin to know him a little bit more as a person. You know, he said this. What did that mean? And, of course, you have to consider the context and the covenant and the objectives that God is trying to reach. What are his goals for saying anything? What is the relational purpose for which he is saying things? But you can still learn a lot about him as a person by taking a look at the things that he has said and the things that he has done. And this is worth doing. But there are limitations concerning this. There are some substantial limitations about knowing your God as a person through studying the historical record of what he has said and what he has done. To study the historical record of what he has said and what he has done fits into the category of what we would call theology. Theology being translated as the study of God. And of course, there can be some wonderful things that can result through studying your God. Unfortunately, where a lot of these studies tend to go is they tend to go in the direction of being a complex, convoluted sometimes even, complicated and complex examples and studies. And sometimes it's necessary to become quite complicated because the end result turns out to be something that God has nothing to do with at all. And so a lot of theology, while it can be worth examining and studying, you do need to be cautious and understand that the reason why a lot of theology can be complicated and complex is because they are trying to get to a conclusion that is not real. That's what it is. A lot of theology is about trying to get to a conclusion to explain who God is when that really isn't who he is at all. And that's one of the reasons why it can be complicated and complex and why people will study this extensively to the extent where they write books and papers and all kinds of things in order to get certifications to explain a point of view that probably would be quite simple if it was a little bit more consistent with who God really is. And so this is something to just be attentive to and to keep in mind as you pursue a knowledge of who your God is. And again, I would like to say that it is worth doing, and I would like to encourage that with people in their lives as they have the time and the ability to pursue it. But this is not what Paul is talking about here. What he is talking about is something else. He's talking about knowing your God because he reveals himself to you through his spirit, 
dwelling within you. That you have a God who dwells within your spirit. This is part of salvation. You have a person who is within you. And this person who is within you is alive. And you are alive. And the two of you can have a relational experience. There can be times when he can bring things to your mind, to your spirit. There are times when you can ask him questions and he may respond in a way through your mind and through your spirit that you know it has to be him because you know for sure you never would have thought of what he just expressed towards you. Just to give you an example, but the point is is that this becomes an individual personal experience. Now you do have to be cautious, of course, because he's not the only spirit around. And there could be a demonic spirit who might express something in your mind and in your heart in a way that you might believe that that was God. And so knowing what God has already revealed through what he has said and through what he has done will help you to be able to discern whether or not this is from God or whether this is from the devil or from some other demonic spirit. Because if it is from a demonic spirit of some kind, it is going to be inconsistent with what God has already expressed clearly. And so this is why it is also important to consider spending time studying what God has said and what he has done, because it will give you an advantage to be able to distinguish between the truth when you consider who might be speaking to you, because we do have a spiritual dimension in our reality. But over time, I do believe that a person will tend to grow to know the voice of God as they live their lives and as they encounter him more and more. But what I want you to see is the word revelation in verse 17 may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So if you are going to genuinely know him as a person, he's going to have to reveal himself to you. And he does. He reveals a lot about himself. But let's take the subject of forgiveness as an initial topic or as an initial example in order to show you about the limitations that God can sometimes run into when it comes to revealing himself to other people. God forgave the sins of the world when he died on the cross for the sins of the world. Now, what would be an indication that you don't believe that? Well, one indication would be that you're consistently asking him to forgive you of your sins. If you believe that God forgave your sins through his death on the cross, then what makes you think that you're going to obtain his forgiveness because you apologize? You know, because you say you're sorry. Does it does that make a difference, really? Is that going to compete with his death on the cross? But if this is what you believe, well then what's God going to say? What more can he reveal to you about himself as a person, about his acceptance towards you, about his love towards you? What is he really going to be able to convey to you about these realities? Not much. He's not going to be able to convey his acceptance towards you very well because you believe that his acceptance is conditional upon your behavior. And I will continue with this in the next program. 
You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,